Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. What can we expect from the new FHA commissioner, Julia Gordon? Described as a pragmatic liberal, Gordon will have a lot on her plate, including potentially looking at servicing guidelines and adjusting premiums. I'm senior mortgage reporter Georgia Cromry, and my guest today is mortgage reporter Maria Volkova, who has been covering these developments. We've got plenty to talk about, so let's dive in. Hey, Maria, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Georgia, happy to be here. So you did the story on Julia Gordon this week. She was confirmed just last week by the Senate, finally. Can you talk a little bit about why it took so long and um, just sort of like the the, the process from, from start to finish? You know, it, it seemed like there were a lot of uh, a lot of delays. It went back to the White House. It came back to the Senate. Why why did this take so long? So uh, Julia Gordon was originally nominated by the Biden administration uh, last year in June, um, and it took basically it's been almost one year um, for her confirmation process to come to an end and for her to be finally confirmed as the head of the FHA. Um, The process is typically drawn out. Uh, So Dana Wade, who served as the former FHA commissioner during the Trump administration, it took about five months for her to be confirmed. And um, HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge, it also took about five months for her confirmation. Um, But the, the reason why Gordon's, I guess, took a little longer than usual is because it all started with a retweet. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. In uh, in 2020, Gordon uh, retweeted basically a, a tweet posted by the National Community Stabilization Trust. Where she worked at the time. Yeah. Gordon was the president there at the time. Um, and the message basically was that the organization stood in solidarity with uh, individuals who are trying to dismantle racism. And Senate Republicans, uh, specifically Pennsylvania's Senator Pat Toomey, took an issue with this. Um, and uh, Republican senators basically said that uh, retweeting these types of statements uh, called into question uh, Gordon's fitness uh, to serve as the FHE commissioner. So so because of a retweet, I mean, I mean, five months for Dana Wade and five months for Secretary Fudge, that makes more sense. It's still a long time. You know, you think of like a new administration coming in, you know, they they want to get their people in place so they can start putting into action their policy agenda. And to wait five months, is that's mm-hmm. already a long time, especially, you know, some places important as HUD and, and FHA. But but like nearly a, a year seems like an inordinately long time. Was there ever any point in the process where you started thinking, you know, maybe maybe the Biden administration is going to rethink this. Maybe there's going to be a different nominee. Were there like plan B or, or other options that you st- that you started hearing along the way? Or, or do you get the sense that the Biden administration was just digging their heels in and, and Julia Gordon was going to be their FHA commissioner through the through the whole process? 
From what I gathered, uh, Julia Gordon was uh, their number one choice. And as you said, uh, the Biden administration dig, did dig their heels in and insisted uh, on this kind of process carrying out. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they sent they sent the nomination back. Yeah. So so that that was a that was a juncture where the Senate Banking Committee, I believe, rejected it, sent it back to Biden and Biden returned it and said, nope, she's our pick. You got to do this. Yeah. And uh, former former HUD officials have told me that uh, the delay in her confirmation is not a reflection of Gordon's qualifications and that she's suited for the job. Right, right. I was going to ask if you, in your reporting, did you ever encounter people who said, um, you, you know, had, had issues with her on the basis of her policy or her background or said, you know, she's she's really not qualified or what, what, were there any other issues that people brought up with her besides the unfortunate retweet? The unfortunate retweet was the main point of contention. Um, former HUD employees, uh, trade groups, fair housing organizations, uh, they all stood behind Julia Gordon and um, basically thought that she was the best choice. Um, wow. Yes. All it. right. Politics. So, so let's, let's, Let's get into talking a little bit about what's going to happen now that she's been confirmed. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about like, what are her guiding principles? What is she like? What motivates her? What do people who know her and have worked with her? What what do people say about her? Yeah, so uh, during uh, Gordon's testimony, when she was first nominated last year by the Biden administration. Uh, she pointed out to her mom's life and her childhood, where she grew up in a single family rental with low income parents as uh, pillars that kind of hold up uh, Gordon's ideological framework that homeownership and the opportunity to become a homeowner is incredibly important. So that's kind of her guiding star. That's uh, first-time homeowners, first-time homebuyers, and uh, kind of uh, borrowers of color. And uh, in general, people should have the opportunity to be a homeowner. Um, uh, people who know her, stakeholders in the in the industry, have uh, called uh, Gordon as an extremely qualified candidate. Uh, and one stakeholder called her a pragmatic liberal who will bring people to the table. Um, a lot of uh, industry stakeholders have said that uh, her varied experience uh, working both at the FHFA and at the Center for Responsible Learning, so nonprofit organizations um, and at a housing agency kind of creates this perfect balance where uh, she'll be able to solve a lot of issues that have been kind of not being solved for the past year at the FHA. In other words, she's not just an, an idealist. She's someone who's going to bring 
um, bring people to the table and, and get things done. That's really interesting. So what are what are some of the things that she might tackle first? I, I guess there's a few categories, right? Like what what do you think she's going to be looking at in the short term? Um, and then, um, you know, what are some more long-term issues that aren't just from the last six months or one year, but, but things that, you know, have been building for a long time? Yeah. So for short-term challenges that she may address, uh, uh, during Trump's administration, a tech modernization initiative was launched and it was incredibly successful. Uh, mainly FHE Catalyst was launched. From what we understand, and even uh, the administration has confirmed this, this modernization initiative uh, has kind of stalled as of late. And uh, stakeholders in the industry are hoping that uh, with Gordon's confirmation, that there will be more of a push to continue modernizing FHE's technology. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two, there's been a lot of uncertainty about DPA programs, um, specifically DPA programs that are government funded. HUD has basically uh, started the process of looking into DPA programs, and it is likely that there will be some sort of rulemaking that may touch these programs. So that's something that I'm sure Julia will look at and that the industry is actually hoping that Julia will look at and, and bring more clarity to, because a lot of lenders are cautious about offering uh, DPA products to borrowers. Uh-huh. Interesting. That's something that, as you noted in your story, that's something that Republicans have called circular funding schemes. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't. Sorry, I don't want to get um, too in the weeds about this. But what what are some of their um, what are some of their objections about the program? So there has been a lot of uncertainty about DPA programs in general, uh, specifically uh, about a decade ago or more even, uh, there were DPA programs that were seller funded. Policymakers blamed these programs for artificially inflating the costs of homes. Hmm. Um, these programs were banned in 2008 um, but uh, Senate Republicans uh, still think that even DPA that's government funded is basically the same thing as seller funded down payment uh, because these programs, they do charge an inflated mortgage interest rate which results in higher payment from investors when the mortgage is securitized. And uh, that in turn results in a financial benefit to these government entities that provide these DPA programs, hence them being labeled as circular funding schemes. Got it. Okay. Well, that sounds like a thorny issue that um, that an FHA commissioner will um, will surely be wading into, and and the uh, maybe in the coming months. Yeah. So, what about this is a this is another really kind of a short term um, issue that um, an FHA commissioner might address. What have you been hearing about the premiums? Yeah, premiums have been a 
point of contention. A lot of stakeholders in the mortgage industry have been asking HUD to lower premiums at least for a year now. Um, HUD has refused to do so because they were tracking delinquencies um, and seeing how those would pan out. But now it seems like uh, the time is right for HUD potentially to lower them. Do you know anything about um, how Julia might think about this issue? Um, yeah. And it, and in particular, how she's what what she has said about this issue in the past. So in the past, Julia has actually supported reducing premiums. Uh, in 2015, uh, she testified before the subcommittee on housing and insurance. Um, and uh, she supported uh, Obama's, uh, the Obama administration at that time cut premiums. And uh, she said that uh, that was a way to help ensure that FHE continues to be available to underserved borrowers that most need it. So she she supported cutting premiums in the past. And it and it seems like because of this guiding principle that you were talking about earlier, you know, this is really an issue for her of um, of affordability and really, you know, the borrowers that FHA serves. That's interesting. What about changes to servicing guidelines that the FHA might consider? Correct me if I'm wrong here, Maria. This is the defect taxonomy that um, for servicing that some people were were pretty unhappy about. Yeah, a lot of uh, industry stakeholders are uh, hoping that uh, Gordon will usher in changes to FHA servicing handbook and that. Uh, it will be brought more in sync with uh, the conventional market. Uh, some of the sources who I interviewed uh, for this article have actually spoken with Gordon about making changes to uh, the servicing handbook. So she definitely knows that the industry kind of is really hoping for this change um, and, and the reason for that is that if the FHA makes changes to its uh, handbook, depository institutions have basically said that they will in part come back into the FHA program and they'll service FHA loans. After the financial crisis, a huge swath Basically, most uh, depositories left uh, the FHE program. Uh, they refused to originate and service FHE loans. Um, and that was mainly uh, in part due to the False Claims Act. There was a lot of litigation against banks stemming from uh, basically the financial crisis. Uh, and since then, banks have been incredibly wary uh, of the FHA uh, in offering its product. And in part, uh, because they've uh, stayed out of the FHA program, fair housing organizations and trade groups and uh, have said that uh, because uh, depositories decided to exit the FHA program, it severely limits the program's uh, visibility. And I guess uh, the, the problem with that is that the FHA is the government's premier mortgage financing product serving 
first-time homebuyers and borrowers of color. And if its visibility is limited, then less first-time homebuyers and borrowers of color can be served by this product. Right. So people might be getting their mortgages from non-banks more um, now than than they were, you know, a decade ago. Um, and, you know, while that's certainly the case, if banks are not in um, FHA, it really, you know, makes you wonder, are they, um, are they effectively serving the borrowers that FHA serves? FHA, um, most FHA borrowers are first-time homebuyers, and they serve many more borrowers of color than conventional financing does. And so it's, it's not... You know, I don't want to don't want to say it's it's redlining because it's not the um, the definition of redlining, and because you know it's it's not that they are discriminating against those borrowers. But uh, if that's where those borrowers are and they're not in that market, then it raises some questions. It sounds like sort of the ball is in their court in terms of whether the um, depositories will come back to FHA. But they certainly have some, some things they would like an FHA commissioner to do before they even think about coming back. But it sounds like from your, your sources that they might get some of those changes. Yeah. Which includes more clarity around servicing and the defect taxonomy. That's really interesting. So um, so what else are you keeping an eye out for this week? Has there been any movement on um, on any of the um, any of the items that um, that the industry speculates that um, Julia Gordon will will look into first? So yesterday, the CHLA sent out uh, a letter. Uh, and CHLA represents uh, non-banks, but, yes. but small and mid-sized non-banks, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they sent a letter to the FHA, and it was signed by over 40 independent mortgage banks, basically urging uh, the FHA to cut premiums. And uh, what what's interesting is that uh, right when this letter went out, the U.S. Uh, MI, which is the U.S. Mortgage Insurers Trade Group, they also published something on their website asking for the FHA to do the exact opposite and not reduce premiums at this time. Uh, so this this beef came out. Yeah. Uh, so so they're not they're they're not going to send a letter like that without thinking that that it will have you know some some impact that something will come of it right and forty lenders all getting on the same page signing on the same page for something that's really notable they must they must think something is um, is going to happen so uh, so it, it seems like there is a is a fight brewing that's pretty interesting well thanks for coming on the show Maria and we'll see you back here on Monday thanks. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more.
Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.